Welcome to the Christchurch Manchester Theology Podcast. The CCM School of Theology meets monthly on Saturday mornings at Luther King House in Manchester. For more information about the training that we offer or about our church in Manchester, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. On Saturday 25th of April, Matt Fell taught two sessions at the Christchurch Manchester School of Theology. This is the second of those sessions, where Matt looks at the topic of sin. Matt runs the Relational Mission Gap Year Training Programme, and is also currently doing a PhD in theology. Let's take a listen to the session. Great everyone, well, uh, welcome back uh, from your break. Um, We're going to continue on in a few moments uh, when Matt comes back to us. Again, just to mention, if you do have questions or things you'd like to ask, do put them in the chat box. We make it time at the end to come back and uh, and bring some of those questions to you, or Matt can pick up on them while he's speaking. So uh, we're going to continue our final session. I'm just going to take us uh, to the end uh, of, our, of our morning today. Uh, so Matt's going to look this morning at sin. So over to you, Matt. Great. Um, Okay, so uh, the doctrine of sin. Um, I think this might be one of the the kind of essential doctrines of the Christian faith that we think the least about today. Um, <clears throat> it's funny. Uh, so I'm at the university here in Cambridge in the in the Divinity Faculty, which is a fancy name for Theology uh, Faculty. Um, and when I talk to the young students who come through, um, you know, they're often really keen to think about doctrine of the Trinity or, or the incarnation or stuff like this. But thinking about the doctrine of sin, that human beings fall short of God's purposes and that there is a problem in the human heart that needs to be addressed is just uh, so often it's just even not thought of at all. Or if it is, it's considered to be um problematic like a like an unhelpful thing to think about and <clears throat> i was going to start the session by getting you to think about uh your understanding of the doctrine of sin uh your understanding of of your own sin that you are a sinner in need of salvation how talking like that thinking like that makes you feel um sin is kind of uh a word which has a bit of a kind of awkward funny use in our society a couple of years ago um you know the magnum ice creams i think they had like a a series of like magnum ice creams called like sin magnum sins or something like this um that you know it had this kind of like naughty but kind of fun vibe to it um, so sin sometimes thought of like that i think there's a chain of nightclubs actually called sin these days um or if uh if you yourself or anybody you know does Weight Watchers, um, they refer to kind of eating things you shouldn't be on the diet as sins. How many sins have you had this week? In the sense that uh, sins kind of been trivial, either kind of trivialized as something which is, you know, naughty but a bit nice. Or on the other hand, there's this feeling of <clears throat> if we talk about sin um, and humans being sinful and that being a problem, that's not going to be good for our self-esteem or our mental health. Um, 
I've had uh, young people, Christians, um, who I've you know been in in church with me, who have kind of been discipling, who have very sincerely, very earnestly said, you know, isn't it a little toxic to kind of talk about uh, our sin and the way that we fall short? <clears throat> and I can understand why people might have that impression. Um, I can imagine a whole number of ways that people could talk about sin in a way that is manipulative, in controlling, uh, puts people down, and so on. Um, and so I think it's really important to get our heads on what the Bible teaches about sin um, and how the biblical teaching makes sense of our lived human experiences. Um, and how understanding these things can lead to joy in the good news of Jesus Christ. The doctrine of sin, in my mind, uh, is about uh, it's about giving us a language to talk about what we experience as human beings. Uh, it actually brings a freedom in that it allows us to be honest. And what's more, it points us to the answer that is Jesus Christ. And then gives us joy and so um the reason on your notes uh, you've got a couple of pictures on the uh, kind of illustrating this is a uh, rembrandt's picture of the prodigal son returning to the father you know the story from luke 15 and this is a picture of um, the woman in luke 7 who is known as a sinner who comes to jesus whilst he's eating dinner and she falls at his feet and weeps and kind of wipes his feet with her hair and with her tears. And Jesus says about this woman, <clears throat> he says, uh, you know, what she's done is beautiful. And he says, those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who understand that, you know, they have been forgiven of their sins and that their sins been dealt with, they, they have much love, love for God, love for other people. And so I wanted to kind of put that right at the start, that this is going to be something which is ultimately going to stir our heart for God, going to give us joy in his love for us and help us love ourselves and love other people well. So let's unpack it. And to do so, we need to think about the doctrine of sin in light of the kind of biblical doctrine of creation and the biblical understanding of evil in general. Um, and you've got a couple of scriptures in your notes from Revelation, Genesis, uh, John's Gospel and from the Apostle James. Kind of, and these are probably four uh, big texts which kind of help us think about creation. That God is responsible for the creation of everything. Um, so in Revelation uh, chapter 4 you see a glimpse into the heavenly throne room and the angelic beings uh, cry out you are worthy our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things say with me all things everything that is is created by god everything that is relies upon god for its for what it is for its existence for the way it works for its kind of being sustained everything there is nothing that is which is not from god this is a radical claim that the bible makes um it says that same thing in uh, in john 1 
that you know God makes all things through his son his word and all things are made through this word and of course the Genesis story says that when God makes the world he makes it good um, he crafts it and shapes it so that it's good and then with the introduction of human beings it's very good in God's mind so this gives us some principles of thinking about everything really um, that God made all things and he made all things to be good God did not make anything to be evil um, he couldn't in fact so the apostle james is really insistent on this in chapter one of james epistle he says god cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one and then he says and in god there's no shadow due to change or variation there's no changing in god's character he is perfectly consistently eternally good and when he makes things he makes them to be good this obviously then raises the question of well we don't experience uninterrupted goodness in life we experience things which are bad which are sad and painful and we would want to call them evil <clears throat> so how do we make sense of this well um reading scripture uh christian preachers and teachers and theologians throughout the centuries have described evil as a corruption of the good things that God made. That evil is uh, what, what what the Bible is um, is not teaching. What the Bible is not teaching is a kind of Star Wars universe where, like, there's a kind of good side and a bad side, and they're kind of they should be kept in balance, and you could be one or the other. Um, the Bible is categorically denying that. The Bible is teaching that God makes all things to be good and that if evil occurs, it is a corruption of what God made to be good. Um, and so think about uh, the, the, the mysterious figure known as the Satan that we meet in scripture, the one who tempts Adam and Eve, the one who wages war on God's people. Um, he's described as a fallen angel in Ezekiel and in Revelation as a being that God made to be good and God gave the powers to make decision and choices. And yet this being made decisions to rebel against God and corrupted its own nature and turned to evil. So God didn't make the devil evil. He made the devil to be good and the devil chose evil. And so in a very radical sense, this is kind of doing some biblically informed thinking here. Evil is not a thing. There's not a, uh, a kind of some stuff out there which is evilness. Evil is not a thing. It's a, it's a corruption of the good. Now, of course, we experience things as evil. And, and using that language is really important to help us make sense of life. And so experientially, yes, evil is a thing. You know, when um, children are, you know, abused or beaten or, you know, when people are oppressed, you know, when bullying happens, they, these things are evil. 
when we say evil, we're not saying that these things are a special kind of stuff, or a special kind of reality. We're saying that they are a corruption of what God made things to be. And that framework helps us make sense of what the Bible means when it refers to sin. Because the Bible uses a very special word. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the word is katar. And in the Greek New Testament, it's hamartia. And both of these words have a very literal meaning. And that is to fail or to miss the mark. Miss the mark is probably the more literal reading um and so in the old testament um in the book of judges chapter 20 uh it says that gideon had no it's not gideon sorry it's somebody else it talks about 700 men who were all left-handed and really skilled at a slingshot so that when they fired their slingshot that at a hair they could hit and not qatar not miss not miss the mark Proverbs 19 says, desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet will catar his way, miss his destination. <clears throat> and so to sin is to miss the mark, to miss the mark of what you were made to be. Human beings made in the image of God, to know him, to love him, to reflect his goodness to the rest of creation, to care for creation, to extend God's rule over all things. When a human being out of choice chooses not to fulfill that God-given role, we are falling short. We are missing the mark of what God made us to be. And so this is the Bible's big picture of sin. It's not a list of certain behaviours that God just doesn't particularly like. It's when we miss the mark of being what God made us to be. So I think it's a much richer, healthier view of, the, of what you know human evil is. It is a failure to be what God made us to be. And so when we sin, we're not living life to the full. We're not experiencing the goodness that we were made for. We're experiencing something which is less a corruption, a missing the mark. <clears throat> um, a few other ways of thinking about, about sin. Um, in Romans 14, Paul says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Um, so if you think about faith being trust, trusting God, um, you know, whatever doesn't come about from us trusting in God's design and purposes for our life, that is sin. It's missing the mark of what we were made to be. <clears throat> um, and then the Bible uses other words to describe sinful behaviour. Um, it uses the word iniquity, um, which kind of speaks of kind of behaviour that is crooked. Um, it's, it's kind of deformed actions. It's not as it's meant to be. Uh, it will speak of sins as transgression. This is breaking trust. Um, you know, when we sin, we break trust with God. We're not trusting in him. We're not living it as accordance to what we were made to be. Um, and it will speak of sin as lawlessness, um, which is kind of, uh, kind of disregarding God's instructions for how to live. So 
God gives us a picture of what it is to be human, how to live well, and lawlessness is disregarding that. <clears throat> so that's a broad general picture of what sin is. But I want to help us think about um, how it plays out. What sin actually does to us as human beings, how it has a hold on us, and also how it makes us feel. Because, I, you know, um, all doctrine, all Bible teaching needs to make sense of our real lived human experiences. And particularly so when we're talking about, you know, something like sin, which is addressing human psychology, human experience, human lives. It has to make sense of how we feel. And I think the Bible gives us lots of ways to think about this. And so you've got a little table in your notes, <clears throat> which... um. <laughs> my students refer to as the table of sin which I'm not quite sure how I feel about that um, but I want us to help kind of think about how sin affects us um, around three p's we're actually going to include a fourth later on but three p's the penalty of sin <clears throat> the power of sin and the presence of sin and on your little table um, you've got space to make notes on this and we're going to think about um, these three things. We've got some scriptures here to kind of uh, think about and work through, and we're going to make notes in here as to how these different aspects of sin affect us. <clears throat> and so let's work through these. Sin um, brings about a penalty. There is a penalty for sin. Um, in his loving justice, God has to oppose sin. Um, he has to say no to it. He, um, you know, if sin is this falling short of what we were made to be, this corruption of the good, God allows us to experience that in order to teach us that it's wrong, in order to call us back to himself. Um, and this uh, looks like different things, really. It looks like the... Um, the kind of distortion and chaos that sin brings about. So living in a world with other human beings, you know, we experience, uh, we reap the whirlwind that we sow. You know, my sinful actions come back to haunt me and, you know, cause problems with other people. Uh, they might, you know, um, my worship of things like sex, money, power, pleasure, comfort, you know, will eventually kind of, um, dehumanize me, uh, will make me enslaved to those things. Um, they will ruin my relationships with other people. Um, and Romans 1 really kind of um, unpacks what this looks like. And it says, Paul in Romans 1 says, God hands us over to these things, that the wrath of God is revealed in him handing us over to experience these things. God says, if you choose evil, here you are, experience it, live in a broken world. <clears throat> and he does so in order to call us back. And of course, the greatest penalty um, that sin brings is death. That God made Adam and Eve to be in relationship with him um, and to receive life from him. If God is the source of all things, the one who gives us, us life and he's the light, 
and he you know is love and goodness um, he hands us over to experience a loss of those things uh, away from his presence adam and eve being cast out of the garden and the consequence of that is ultimately that we die um, we no longer live we no longer experience life and blessing and goodness um, and so what happens because of the penalty of sin is we experience as the consequences we experience the consequences of turning away from god we experience the consequence of turning away from him who is life and love and goodness let's think about how that then makes us feel <clears throat> on a deep deep level we all know that we live in a broken world that um we will die one day and that although we might want to kind of forget what the world's like with endless netflix and bottles of wine or chocolate or whatever it is for you we know deep down that we are frail and mortal um, and in those more kind of um reflective conscious moments we know that we um how to say it that we deserve this we have a feeling of guilt deep down um you know i think even even people who you know aren't in church you know wouldn't save an overlord um deep deep down have a feeling that they have done things wrong in their life um and, and it's interesting that we live in an age where we don't like to talk about sin or or guilt um we kind of have taken that out of the picture but we live in an age where we're very anxious we're more anxious than we've perhaps ever been in human history and i wonder if there's a bit of a link there that we are anxious about suffering and death and all of these things um and it's i think you know we we don't really have a kind of a, a language to talk about why those things are the case why we live in a world which is broken and yet feel like we shouldn't no matter you know how much we kind of uh, have tried to have a material view of history we still have this deep feeling of things you know we don't we wish things were otherwise than they are <clears throat> and i think that anxiety that fear that those moments of guilt is the feeling of the living under the penalty of sin so sin uh, comes with a penalty but it also holds a power over us <clears throat> and so adam and eve sin they fail to be what god made them to be and this then shapes their life afterwards and their family it shapes the rest of the human race uh, because you read in Rome, in um, in Genesis four that their son Cain um, is feeling angry towards his brother Abel, and God says to him, "Cain, sin is crouching at the door at the door and desires to master you." <clears throat> and the language that God uses to describe sin is like it's a ravening wolf. It's this kind of monstrous being that wants to kind of take control of Cain. Sin once humans fall short of what we were made to be sin becomes a power in our life it becomes an ongoing reality we can't shake um the apostle paul writes very powerfully about this particularly in the book of romans talks about um 
kind of being slaves to sin, that it has sin having mastery over you. But what happens is we become enslaved to it. We no longer are free <clears throat> to choose the good. We're no longer free to choose good. Uh, sin has a mastery over us. Um, you know, and Paul writes very movingly in Romans 7, the good thing that I wanted to do, I can't do. And the bad thing that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And how many of us resonate with that experience? Um, sin has this power, this mastery over us, and it makes us feel enslaved. It makes us feel despairing, like we aren't in control um, that... You know, it works itself out in addictions. If any of us have experienced addictions, we know that feeling of, you know, I don't want to do this, but I keep on doing it. That madness, that feeling that I'm not in control, even of my own life. It's an effect of the, the power of sin in our lives. And this leaves a presence, a presence of sin in our human soul um, that we feel unworthy we feel unclean we feel broken <clears throat> and of course this is where the bible's language of uncleanliness comes in that we are unclean before god um, that there's a sense that because this sin this ongoing power our experiences of the penalty of sin there's this kind of this lingering presence and it makes us feel shame it makes us feel shame and I think shame is best understood as that feeling of others won't want to be near me, <clears throat> including God. Others won't want to be near me because of this thing in my life. And we feel that deep down. If only people knew what my thought life was really like. If only people knew those things that I'd done, they wouldn't want to be near me. They wouldn't love me. God wouldn't love me. And so sin has this lingering effect. <clears throat> and then just moving over the page from uh, the table of sin. Um, sin has a, has a bigger, um, a bigger effect than just on ourselves. So we as individuals feel the, the penalty of sin, the power of it, the presence. But sin at large <clears throat> is a poison on God's creation choking and crippling the world that god made um, and the bible helps us to think about that thinking beyond ourselves that the poisonous effects of sin destroy societies and cultures i uh, think in the bible about nations like babylon and, and rome and egypt and the slavery or even what happens to israel god's people becomes poisoned their society becomes poisoned by sin and so oppression occurs injustice corruption taking advantage of one another um, the dehumanizing of one another objectifying one another sin is a poison which ruins society it robs humans of their dignity and uh, all their that they were made to be it, you know our best efforts are marred by sin our most wonderful creations are still ruined in some way <clears throat> and Sin poisons the, the, the natural world, the world around us, because humans just pillage it and, and ruin it and rob it. And this is a very uh, interesting thing to reflect on today, because I find that as I talk to my friends 
who are particularly uh, taken up with the concerns about the climate change and the environment. <clears throat> that is probably one of the few discourses, the few conversations you can have today where people are willing to talk about right and wrong. They're willing to talk about something like sin. And the Bible points this out. There's a very powerful bit in Habakkuk chapter two, where God says, I'm going to bring judgment on the nations around you because they plunder the forests and they do violence to the earth. And Romans eight says that all of creation groans because of sin. And so sin, this falling short of what it is to be human, has these grave consequences. It brings this penalty of things going wrong and ultimately as being handed over to death. It takes power over us, it masters us, makes us slaves. It uh, is a lingering presence in our life which causes us to feel shame and it poisons God's good creation. And thinking about it in these ways, uh, the Bible, I mean, to me, when I think about what the Bible says about sin, like it just, it gives us a language to think about our experiences in life. And I think we need to reclaim thinking about sin like this in order to, to articulate the gospel, to talk to our neighbours, to share our very human experiences with them and to point to the good news that we have in Jesus. And so, uh, very quickly um, if this is the problem of sin let's just think what might salvation look like if we need to be saved from the penalty of sin what will it look like well <clears throat> it will look like god coming in to take that penalty upon himself um, the judge god the judge being judged in our place god stepping into human history, becoming like us in the incarnation and taking death and human suffering onto himself in order to make a way for us to come through that penalty into healing, into restoration. And by his death, he tramples death. By his suffering, he brings about a healing for all suffering. By his wounds, we are healed. God undoes the penalty of sin, not by just kind of disregarding it altogether, but by making a way through the penalty for us to be brought out of it, to come under it. He forgives us, he removes our guilt. He shows us that although he is the God of justice who stands against sin and punishes it, he also works mercy through justice. God saves us from the power of sin. <clears throat> we were slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to Christ. If we have been baptised as Christians, we have died to sin and been made alive to God in Jesus Christ. And what this means is although we are still in the flesh, we're still dealing with the old man journeying through this life, our sins, our past, those habits, no longer have the final word on who we are. We've been given new hearts by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Christ has set us free for freedom, which means that, yes, there are still the practical outworkings of 
character change, changing our habits and so on, so on. But ultimately, those sinful patterns of behavior no longer have the last word on who we are. Their influence is still there, but their power has been diminished. So we don't know, we no longer need to despair about our sin. We need to be realistic, yes, but there's hope. Jesus has made a way for us to change. And of course, he removes our shame. God declares us justified in Christ, righteous and holy. You have been made clean. In God's eyes, you are now without blemish, hidden in Christ Jesus. And of course, the poison of sin is being dealt with. As we experience life in God's church, in the community of the church, we get a taste of what restored creation ought to look like. And of course, one day, God will create all things anew. We'll be given resurrected bodies, live eternally with him, and he will wipe away every tear caused by the poison of sin. Hallelujah. As we think about reduction of sin, it ought to give us a bigger picture of what God is doing for us in salvation. This helps us to be honest about our human frailties and failings. But when we think about sin, sin isn't the last word. The gospel is, and it ought to fill our hearts with joy. Whew. There we go. Thanks so much for that, Matt. That, that, that's great. Uh, it's really good to yeah, just to see how horrible sin is, really. It's important to talk about. We've had a few comments in the chat of people saying, actually, it's just so important to actually talk about sin, and we don't that as much uh, anymore but also not just to talk about sin and get depressed about it but to see that there is hope and actually yeah it's really helpful to see how salvation like we're saved from all the different aspects of sin through jesus so that's yes so good to kind of bring that out um yeah so really 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 helpful yeah we've lots of positive comments coming through on the right. chat i know some of the some of the, the messages everyone can see some of them are just sent to us so um we're, we're seeing lots of lots of positive uh, messages there right. um we did say we'd do a few questions um um i've got a one question and this is a difficult one matt okay i'm gonna throw this is a difficult one um someone has asked um referring to the previous session that we did um uh, and talking about the law um, why the law was given when it was and not earlier, i.e. why was the law, no, law not maybe given to Abraham? Now, I know this is kind of a speculation question, but I'm going to throw that out to you. What do you think about that one? Emma? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I saw it earlier on. I, I wouldn't ask it. Yeah, is that what it was? I hope you would um, So, Paul, particularly in Galatians, has this view of history that God... Um, God does things at the appropriate time. So for Paul, God gave the law at the time that he did because God's people needed it then. They needed that tutor. Remember we talked about the Pythagogos? <clears throat> they needed that tutor to kind of bring them out of childlessness into maturity and to teach them what sin was and to point them towards Jesus. And so that was the, the appropriate moment in time. And then Paul will say, at a later time, at the fullness of time, when history had reached the right point, then God sent the Son and then the Spirit in order to open the way of salvation for everybody. So Paul's got this big view of history, which helps us read the whole story of the Bible, to see that God is doing a continuous thing. 
um, and he's doing it stage by stage. Um, and you know, we live at a certain point in history and we look back to what God's done. And it's important to understand how God is working this thread throughout the whole story. And that's a very helpful way of thinking. So it's a really good question. And, you know, why the particular reasons why God didn't give the law to Abraham, why he gave it to Israel? I think there's probably things to do there with um, the number of the people that the law is given for a society to live this out as a community, as a prophetic community, rather than just one bloke in his tent, you know, with his household. I think that's probably a part of it. <clears throat> Oh, thanks, Matt. That's that's really helpful. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna finish your session. I'm gonna pray as we finish, and then we will we'll close for the day. Uh, so let, let's let's just pray as we as we finish here. Father, thank you for uh, just the amazing illumination and explanation that Matt has brought to us to some difficult texts, some difficult passages, uh, and Bible books this morning. Uh, thank you for the way that he's just opened it all up and showed how. Actually, these books and, uh, and the solution to sin is you, Lord. It, it all comes from you, comes, to, comes back to the cross, comes back to what you did there for us, Lord. Thank you for the fact that we can have hope, that, that sin and the, the awfulness of sin is not the end. No, there is hope, there is salvation from all the different aspects um, of, of sin, Lord. So thank you for that. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy that you bestow upon us, even though we don't deserve it, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. And, Andy, yes. can, I just, can I just say a kind of final word to the guys? Yep. Um, well done, everybody, for tuning in and listening into this. It's such a weird way to learn. Um, and I'm sure you're all very tired having done this. Um, this is a weird way for our brains to take information on. Um, and so I would really recommend a couple of things uh, just to help kind of make this session profitable. Um, one is just rest this afternoon if you can. Our brains need time to rest, you know, uh, to switch off from what we were doing just so that they can kind of store all the information that we've heard appropriately so if you can have a bit of downtime uh, before you rush off into the next thing before you check uh facebook on whatever screen you've you know tuned into this take some time off um but also um do try to go through the notes i gave you and do the exercises um the reading in numbers and deuteronomy you know with those four different senses because that will um you know it will train you in reading those texts and it will bring things back to mind uh, that won't come back to your mind unless you do the activity so um that will serve you and bless you and it will mean that this has been really fruitful for you and also um go and look at the table of sin notes that we looked at and there's a number of passages you know for the penalty the, the power and the presence of sin go and look at them and go and reflect on on kind of how they speak to our experiences and i think that will be a really profitable way for you just to think on that material a bit more um but it's been great i hope you've enjoyed it and get a lot